When was the last time you played? I played yesterday. My son is doing a science project uh, and he wanted to build a catapult uh, because right now, sidebar, he's very much into how to train a dragon. He loves Hiccup and all that dragon stuff. And of course, in Viking stages, they had these little wooden, very primitive catapults and he wants to create one. Maybe not quite so primitively. And so we were playing with trying to make that work, trying to gel his ideas with my ideas uh, with a little bit of extra engineering understanding. And um, yeah, that was the one. It it went very, very well. Um, We're halfway through it. This is a longer term project, but we've got the basics of the arm. We've just got to work out how the rubber bands connect to it and all that other stuff. Fantastic. So you have part of the catapult. We have part of a catapult. It's looking great. I want to say it's much better than I thought it was ever going to look like. Um, so it's coming together. Fantastic. Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. One of the things I've seen in the scientific research and in my interviews for this podcast is that there's a reluctance to define play because of its complexity and the way that it means different things for different people. But my guest today has what I think has become my favorite definition of play. If I had to give a definition for play, it would be a nourishment of soul. Mm. As you can probably tell from his accent, Mark is Australian. He is the founder of Playmio, which is how I first got to know him. So I asked him to start by telling us a little bit about Playmio. Playmio is the most recent iteration of my career. Um, it is uh, 10 years old this year. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Insofar as being an online database of playful, fun group games and activities. So most people understand Playmio just to be a place they go to to search for these fun group games and activities. And it is completely searchable. At once, in its earlier iteration, it was a blog. I was looking for a way to share the latest ideas I'd experienced or come up with uh, after, I think, book number three. I've written five books. Uh, Count Me In was my book number three. And I, was, I knew there was more books in me, <laughs> but I wanted another way, leveraging the internet, to be able to share. And yeah. within the space of two years, we're talking around 2010, that people were going, this is awesome. Like, this stuff is great. You should be charging for this. And it's like, hmm. <laughs> so in the space of a couple of years, generated a database that was searchable. So that's what Playmio effectively is in the minds of most people around the world. We have massive traffic. It's by far the largest database of its kind. But Playmio is also the name of my company. And until the pandemic hit, um, it was the vehicle through which I would turn up around the world, principally training other educators and professionals in the use of group games and activities, but also keynoting uh, in many, many conferences around the world. So Playmio is principally 
the name given to the workshops that we deliver and the online resources that we curate. And you, you said a little bit about this, but tell me more about who uses Planeo. And I know the answer to this question now because I've surveyed them. Uh, it was always based around the, the gut feelings. Like, oh, I think a lot of teachers use it, but I do now know that more than 50%, so more than half of our community or our subscribers, our members are teachers. Uh, many of them would be PE teachers, outdoor educators or experiential educators, but many of them are classroom teachers. So many, many different um, uh, subjects that they would be teaching. Uh, roughly one in five, so 20% would be corporate trainers. So these are folks who are responsible for quote unquote human resources or some level of training and development. And then the rest are made up of a variety of groups from uh, girl guide leaders, scout leaders, uh, recreational officers, camp leaders is a, is a big part too. That yeah. makes up the other 30%. Yeah. So what have you learned about play by running Playmio? Well, first of all, I'm so grateful for play because not that I would ever have imagined this 32 years ago, uh, Mary, when I hung up my little shingle to say, hey, I'm available for hire, but that I've created a career out of using play as my most, most powerful, my most potent tool to invite people to interact. So mm. for me, I have discovered that play continues to be really, really powerful. And importantly, we now have the scientific research and the scientific evidence to say that it is in fact working. Because 32 years ago, I was attracted by the fact that it was fun. I was often in the outdoors. I enjoyed people laughing as a result of what I delivered and it made me feel good. And I always believed that there was a power there, but I couldn't, I couldn't point to anything. I couldn't say, here are the bullet points. This is how it works. And often you'd lose a few clients who believed it to be uh, childish or frivolous or wasteful mm -hmm. or unproductive. They could see it was fun, but they didn't see how this translated to the bottom line, you know, from a real right. cult nose perspective. So in the last 10 years, particularly, uh, we've been blessed with lots of science and research that says this works. And in fact, my number four book, Serious Fun, was all about taking fun more seriously you know, to be able yes. to say, here's the research, here is the system I use in a serious way to use fun to, you know, to get stuff done. So whether it's you're yeah. building a team or you're wanting new students to feel more comfortable with one another or any other, any other place where people turn up, if you are responsible for the well-being of others, you know, fun can be a really powerful tool to invite them to connect. Because honestly, in three words, that's what I do, Mary. I help yeah. people connect. Because I know when connection has occurred, more stuff gets done. You know, it helps amplify the results of whatever I'm trying to get done. Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're a classroom teacher, a camp leader, uh, maybe a counselor, it just helps stuff get done. So that's what I've learned is yeah. that there's this wonderful science. And part of my speaking tours around the world has been speaking, not to the research I've developed, because that's not my expertise, but taking the work of the science boffins who have worked out, hey, here's the data. And it's, it's right. so refreshing. I love that you have really defined play today as being a tool for inviting people to interact. 
you said connection, amplify. Those aren't things that people necessarily associate with play, but I've seen them myself. Mm. And that that, um, need to connect, especially in a world that has become increasingly polarized, Mm. uh, feels very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. You're probably very familiar with the work of Dr. Stuart Brown, the, the, the chair or president of the Institute for Play in the United States. And his work in that space really earmarked my interest in, ooh, okay, there's people out here doing research in a space that I love and have a passion for. And so when you, when you I know, because I've seen it over and over and over again, when you, when you invite people into play, like the pure definition of play, you know, and we can talk about what that is in a moment, but when people are invited into a space of play, transformation is possible. It is impossible to pretend when you are playing is that you get to be who you really are in play. Sometimes that comes with all the warts as well. But when <laughs> you are truly being who you want to be, then that's what play provides. And, and that's when people are more likely to interact because you're right, it's baked into our DNA this longing to connect socially with others. That's that's what makes us human. But, and it's a huge but, it's the but with the dot, 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 is that while that may be baked into our DNA, the reason we pull back is because we're concerned to be embarrassed, threatened, or to made to look like a fool. So some people may think, oh, play is good in schools. Play is good for young people, for you know, children, or even for adolescents. Why would you say play is so important from, for adults? And does it mm. look different for adults than for children? One of the common questions people ask of our database is, where's the drop-down menu for the age? Mm. Give me all these other options for filtering the activities. And we have over 500 at the moment. So that's a lot. It's overwhelming. We did that at the very beginning. For every single activity, we said, okay, what age group would this be suitable for? We ended up basically ticking every single box on almost every single activity. (laughs) It was pointless because I trust that the individual picking up these resources, these ideas, know how to tweak or adjust the pitch of the activity, the framing of it perhaps, to the group that they're going to work with. So... It is equally applicable to adults as it is young people. And do they look the same? The activity, in essence, is exactly the same. I frequently say this to uh, teachers that I, I do the same stuff with corporate executives and vice versa. It's like the, the, the repertoire is no different, but how I design it, how I frame it, possibly is. Okay. Because I'm going to be talking to a different group of people who have a different level of pretend or pretense when people sort of just are embracing play. You know, there's no win or lose. They all want to be a part of it. So they're volunteering the time. They're not actually aware of what's necessarily going on around them. That's that thing called flow, the science of flow. Right. Um, And you you want it to continue. These are some of the basic elements of what makes up play. And when you introduce that to a group, so it starts with play. And it's like, there's this little mini formula here, uh, uh, Mary, that that I frequently use. It starts with play. And it moves to opportunities for interaction. 
Because without interaction, you can't have the next step, which is sharing. Mm. You can't you can't necessarily jump from play to sharing either because play sometimes can be on your own. Right. So there needs to be elements of interaction. And then there's sharing. And sharing is the bedrock of trust and understanding and all those oh, other things. Yes. So sharing leads to opportunities. Opportunities doesn't always happen. Some people don't want to trust and that's fine. But you can only learn that through a sharing. So a sharing leads to trust and trust leads to growth, learning, or development. Because if you don't have that, every teacher, corporate trainer, camp leader, counselor will tell you without a healthy trusting environment, it's very difficult to get stuff done. Let's think about that one more time. Play, when it is done with others, leads to interaction. Interaction leads to sharing, Sharing builds trust. There's a lot of talk today around the importance of organizational culture, the importance of human-centered workplaces. Trust is at the center of all of that. And with Mark's formula that he just gave, he identifies that play leads directly to trust And it is in that environment where we see growth, learning, and development. When you think about it, growth, learning, development, they are as individual as play. But Mark puts together team environments, group play. How do you structure play that individuals, that multiple individuals with different things they might enjoy can all come into one space and play together? Yeah, it's a great question. And many people, teachers, corporate trainers, others acknowledge that, oh, this is great, but everyone is different. So everyone's going to enter this space, the invitation to play really differently. So there'll be people like myself who willingly jump in, even though I'm not sure what I'm about to do, whereas someone else would wait back. They would hold back a little bit. So I think philosophically, the way I introduce play makes me quite unique, but it's not unique in that I'm the only one doing it. For example, is that I provide an honor choice. And now in the world of adventure, it's often referred to as challenge by choice. That is the participant gets to choose their level of challenge to engage with this activity. So when I set up the beginning of my program, when they know nothing about me or what's going to happen here and all they've got is reservations and concern and a lot of ice that needs to be broken. And perhaps that sense of vulnerability and am I going to be embarrassed? Is this going to be something that that is hard? Absolutely. All those things that make you human that will stop you from leaning in. And so I, I, I work hard and I can give you some examples, but I work hard to provide not only ample choices. So when they do enter the room or the space, they can see that they've actually got a few choices here. I'm not saying they have to do something. I never say that. It's always an invitation and I will honor their choice. It's not enough just to simply say challenge by choice and then provide them with no opportunity to exercise a choice. They may as well not even say it then. So providing lots of choices and always starting from that 
uh, outrageously fun perspective. It needs to be immediately engaging and immediately fun. There's nothing worse. And this comes from my personal experience of turning up often early, or even if I'm on time, seeing the lecturer or the conference organizer or the instructor of the corporate team building and say, oh, look, let's wait another five or 10 minutes before everyone arrives. That just drives me insane. It's like, what's the yes. point of saying we need to gather at a certain time? And it's not about being a stickler for time so much as what a wasted opportunity. Here, right. here we could do, even if we are willing to accept that we need to wait 10 minutes for someone to arrive, let's use that five or 10 minutes. So I refer to it as the unofficial start where I'm imbuing lots of choices. So I might have some puzzles on a table or a few things to do on the whiteboard, or I'll have a video watching maybe only one or more of these things at any point in time, I'll give them something or some things to occupy them, to engage them. They're always fun. They could choose to do it on their own. They could choose to do it with others. And here's the other reality, Mary. Here's the other reality is that they go, okay, given the situation, I might just nick off to the bathroom for five minutes or I'll go do one more email or I'll just sit in the corner. I'll do my Facebook. All of those are options. Now, for some people, that's their only option. Great. I will honor that and I look forward to you coming back. But I want to appreciate that that is something that they're choosing, not because I've asked them to. They, they've right. got all these other options as well. The unofficial right. stuff. One of the most powerful tools that helped me address that question you ask about what happens about those people who aren't quite so sure. Well, right. th some of that stuff gets melts away really quickly when they realize that well, this is not the start of the program. So they're engaged. They go, oh, what's that? What are you doing? And, and they can see that they can step back from it and only lean in if they feel they have to. Right. So, so powerful. The program technically has actually started. But I'm by me referring to it as the unofficial start. So it'll sound like, hi, my name's Mark. What's yours? I'll work hard to try to remember it. Hey, uh, look, feel free to put your stuff wherever you like. We've got a couple of things going on. If you don't know anyone, that's okay. No one else knows each other either. Feel free just to jump in if you find something of interest. And, you right. know, and, and we'll, we'll get started in a few minutes. Right. And I think, oh, great. I've got some choices here. I love the, the low-key invitation to play, invitation to, to engage in thinking about your, your identification of like this inviting people to interact. That's what you've done and you've set mm -hmm. up in the structure there is yeah. a first invitation to interact with somebody yeah. else. Yep. And, and, and again, the people themselves don't recognize this, but from a training perspective, when I'm training others to understand the strategy here, often the things that they're working on compel them to move close together. Mm. They're purposefully small so that they're breaking down some of those physical barriers as well. Now, appreciate in a COVID world, some of that is not going to work necessarily, but working on the basis of normal normalcy. So there's, I could have really large props, which means people could step away a long way from each other, but there's something powerful about inviting people in that builds energy and you can never have too much energy. You can always yeah. dial back the energy. <laughs> it's so much harder to try and build it up. Build so it up. much harder. Build it up. Um, You've described a very deliberate creation of structure to build engagement, to um, increase interaction over time, to build trust so that there can be that sharing. Um, what do you personally do to be ready to play? Mm. 
I think there's a mental preparation there, Mary. When when I'm leading programs, it's not a surprise. That is, <laughs> I didn't roll out of bed. Someone calls me, hey, can you be ready in 10 minutes? That that never happens. I always <laughs> know that I've got a program on tomorrow or next week or, or there's the 10-hour flight from here to Singapore to, to mentally prepare me. So there's It would be that. really nice though sometimes to get that phone call in the morning. Hey, can you come and play? <laughs> I think it would be a little bit of a struggle for me, apart from just everything else going on in my life, but also just the mental preparation is like, whoa, okay, Whew, I haven't thought about this group. I don't know what I'm going to do first. How am I feeling right now? You know, am I in a good space to be able to play? So I think that mental preparation is useful for me. And then also, I think at that point, I'm just thinking of options. When I pack my bag and I've got lots of big bags full of toys and resources that I feel people look at it and go, Oh my goodness, what are we doing today? It's like, actually, we're probably not even going to touch most of this, but I've got it here just in case, because here's what I, I bring to a program. It's why I can charge a premium, why I've been in the field for so long. And is that I won't really know what I'm going to do until I turn up, feel the space and meet the first people who arrive because more often than not, the people I'm working with, I've never met before or probably never see again. And so I can decide that, okay, I've got these three options up my sleeve. Which one's the best one? This one right here. It'll look like that's what I always planned, but it won't be. So honestly, the the ultimate preparation is me just preparing for lots of options. Thankfully, I've got this massive repertoire of activities I can draw from and then sensing the moment to be able to do something. I'm impressed with the thoughtfulness with which Mark prepares for play and particularly prepares for the people he will meet and invite to play. Then he shared another story which shows me that to some degree he's always ready for play. In this case, he wasn't the facilitator. He showed up in that meeting They were starting late, just as he described, and he had a different thought. We could use these two or three or four minutes to invite people who don't know each other, we're we're in different parts of Australia, to interact, have some fun. So I interrupted the host. I've never met this group before. I said, interrupt the host. I said, hey, just out of interest, would you mind if I use the chat facility and ask a question of the group to invite some interaction just to fill the time. And before we knew it, within a minute, we had people laughing, we had people you know, reaching out saying, hey, tell us more about that because I asked them the question, right now, looking over the top of your desktop or your phone or whatever it is, describe what you can see. Mm. Describe to me what you can see right now. And I was able to talk about how there was a group of three ladies with a group of dogs walking past the front of my home. And there was this backdrop and there's this lake and there's three different species of ducks. And of course, they were very interested. None of them saw this coming, but it was playful. They had lots of choice. A, the first choice is just wait four minutes for the people to turn up and then we'll start. Or choices, don't write anything and just read everyone else's responses. Or even if you do write something, you still don't have to share any more. So, so many choices. It was such a, such a great start 
uh, they asked me to stay off on the end of the program and say, hey, thank you so much for that. It was so yeah. simple. It was so, so simple. simple. Part of what I love hearing in the way that you describe this, that you bring your bag of tools, which I have a great mental picture of, but, but it strikes me that you are being very present with the group and observing and listening and that you don't take that trust for granted that you, you are, you are holding really almost in a sacred way, the trust of the group that you are going to protect them in this space, that you're going to create this space where they can be themselves and learn and grow together and engage. Right. Um, And that because of that ability to be present and observe and listen, you're able to bring in the, the games, the play that Mm -hmm. will help them get, get further as a group. Absolutely. It, it is. I frequently get this feedback. It's like, you made us feel so comfortable. And it's like, yes. Because if, if, if there's one thing that I want every teacher, trainer, corporate trainer, camp leader, whoever to learn, and, and this is not something that I've made up. It's a scientific fact, but you know, it, it, you cannot change the way someone thinks or what they do without first changing how they feel. I'll just say it again. You can, it is impossible. It's a scientific fact. You cannot change how a person thinks or what they do without first changing how they feel. So when people say, oh, you made us just feel so comfortable, I know I'm on a winner because we can, we can just amplify whatever we're trying to get done. When people are holding back, when they don't feel trusted or trustworthy, and when they feel threatened, I, we're not going to get the full potential of this group because they're all holding back or some of them are holding back. Right. Have you ever had a play fail? Oh, absolutely. Where I've misjudged my, the, the preparedness or the willingness of my group to actually enter into a space um, where I've invited them to play. And I can think of a corporate group of oh, this, just this, you know, I shudder to think of this group and how they ever thought that I was going to be good enough to run this program, but inviting them into some games that are awesome, but they weren't ready to play. I had not warmed them up. I had not provided enough opportunities for choice. And I shudder when I think of those sorts of experiences to do something that was going to be very embarrassing in front of their peers too early, too too much too early. Right. As one example, I can think of other times as well, running tag games on slopey slight, you know, uh, hills where people would be running and yeah. next thing you know, they can't stop and then they're tumbling <laughs> and accidents. And of course, now I'm in a real problem because no one else wants to play because they just saw what happened. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, yeah I, I, we could keep on going, but I know that's not your focus, but yeah, there have been some play fails, principally because I just didn't connect well enough and read the group well enough. And of course, we all know with more and more right. experience, you just you just get better at that. Just get better. And and I appreciate you're saying that. And I, I think of a time when I, I had a play fail where there was a team um, outing that we had had put together at for team building for our group. And and in that case, the challenge was that it it was perhaps the perfect outing for one or two of the people. It was a good outing for another three to four people, but for one person, it was horrible. 
it can still really be a powerful team building experience because the question then becomes not so much about that individual, about what do we do to include others? Because if we can yes. learn those sorts of skills, we can apply them to other areas, not only of our business or of our experience together as a team in this entity, but also outside of our own lives. Yes. And it becomes very, very powerful. Right. We want to make sure people know how to connect with you to find out more about Playmio. What are the best ways? Probably online is the best way. I do live in Melbourne, Australia. So unless they're listening from Melbourne, Australia and can pick up the phone and they're very welcome to do that, uh, go to playmio.com. And if you're trying to work out what that word is, it's a seven character word, play, P-L-A-Y-M-E-O. It means nothing. It's a nonsensical word, playmio.com. That will take them to the database. There are a ton of free resources, Mary, that your listeners can access. They never have to register for anything. They can just just play with the stuff. So if they go to playmeo.com forward slash free, they'll find a ton of eBooks they can download, um, uh, videos they can watch for free. And there's uh, a lot of activities on our database that are designated as free, which they can play with to get a sense of, oh, the stuff looks cool. And then, of course, it's the standard business model. You play with the free stuff and a small number of those people go, yep, I want to upgrade. And then they can choose to become a member and they pay a monthly or an annual fee to unlock all the premium content. Fantastic. I also know that I loved getting your emoji cards, which to me are a, a beautiful blending of both something that can be very fun and playful, and something that can be very serious and, and those times when I, I'm just struggling for what is, what is going on with me right now? What are all the emotions that are, that have like converged on me at once having that deck of 52 cards and being able to go, Oh, actually it's these things. I don't even know mm-hmm. if it's 52, but yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. these are the things that are, that are probably being able to name it and then move on is so valuable. Yep. yep. Or just the pure emoji itself. And it's, it's not, I'm not the first person to have created this card, but it, I'm one of the first within my community to say, here's a resource that is completely visual. You can yes. look at a visual and, and look at that emoji and go, that's how I'm feeling. Right. Because I know when you work with young people, emotional literacy is still something that they're developing. Many adults are still developing it. Yeah. So when you turn the card over and go, here's one or two words, so sorry, Here's two words that could come close to capturing in a word what you're feeling right now. And if it's not, then pick up another card. But there are dozens of ways you can use those cards, as I'm sure you've discovered. It's just another tool, which is so easy just to stick in the back pocket. Um, Sometimes sometimes I'll name my emotion by the color as well, by the word. Very deliberate colors. You know, those Mm -hmm. high energy, very unpleasant feelings are red for a reason. Right. You know, and the really powerful, pleasant uh, acti- uh, energies are around the yellows and the greens. You know, when you're feeling down, but there's low energy, it's blue. No mistaking yeah. there. Yeah. So could you leave our listeners with one invitation to play at work? Ooh. Ah, okay. So on their own or with one or more others? Either. Okay, well, let, let's go because I, I, I'm a big one for interaction. So reach out, 
dear listener, <laughs> find a friend, <laughs> find a family member, find a colleague. This will take you no more than 10 seconds, but you, I'm going to describe it imagining that you can't see me. So with my eyes closed, take your right hand and place the palm facing up as if you were holding a tray. And if you're facing your partner, move that tray directly in front of your partner as if you had food on it, they could look at it. Mm. Okay, so their palm is facing you and your palm is facing towards them, but the palms are facing up. Then place your left index finger into the tray of your partner. They will place their left finger into the tray of your palm. And then when I say go, which works pretty well to start the game. Each of you is going to try and catch the finger of the person <laughs> picking your food at the same time you're trying to avoid being caught. Of course, if you got them, you say, gotcha, and then you're ready for a second round. There are many <laughs> variations to that. Uh, I have done that with rooms of 2,000 people in a conference. I've done it with groups of three or four people. And every single time it triggers bursts of laughter. Very, <laughs> I was going to say, fun. win or lose, I think there'd be a lot of laughter there for me. <laughs> exactly. Just remember, you do need to let go of that finger at some point. But yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent. Mark, thank you so much. It was My really pleasure. interesting to hear your thoughts on play, what has sparked it, what you've learned. Thank mm. you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com. Or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces.